Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's talk about climate change uh, for a moment. Uh, There's no doubt uh, we are seeing the impacts of it. Just yesterday, we were talking to uh, author John Valiant about his new book uh, on the Fort McMurray uh, wildfires in 2016 uh, and the impact it had on that community and many people's lives. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, on this show, uh, landlords uh, being held responsible for providing cooling systems for tenants, just as they're required to provide a heating system. It's one that uh, it's an issue that has been debated by our local government uh, association just recently. Uh, We also on this show, last um, week or so talked about how a couple of brand new schools that were built in the lower mainland uh, did not have any cooling system put in an air conditioning system that was uh, Crosstown uh, Elementary here in Vancouver New Westminster Secondary School uh, as well New Westminster Secondary School by the way now we spent a hundred million dollars uh, building that school and students already based in the last couple of weeks have been complaining about uh, very hot days making it much diff- very difficult to, to learn uh, and today earlier in the show we talked about France formally banning domestic flights on short routes that can be covered by train uh, in less than two and a half hours in a move aimed at reducing airline uh, emissions as well. It, that type of policy is uh, one that some would have argued is a test case for governments around the world. So we certainly are already feeling certain impacts of climate change. What well, change? Well, from new research from the University of Waterloo, uh, shares a projection of what the next three decades will look like across the country. And there, of course, are causes for concern. Joining me now is Joanna Akam. She's the Managing Director of Climate Resilient Infrastructure at the Intact Center on Climate Adaption within the Faculty of Environment at the University of Waterloo. Joanna, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I apologize for the long intro, but I just wanted to provide some context and and what we're talking about here in the Metro Vancouver and uh, Southern Vancouver Island area, and then the broader context, which of course you and your colleagues at the University of Waterloo are are studying. Can you provide a sort of broad uh, projections of what this new research uh, has shown? So basically what we're seeing um, in terms of projections for extreme heat is that there are three kind of what we've termed red zones um, where we're most exposed in Canada to extreme heat. Uh, Those are the the kind of valleys and lowlands of BC, the southern prairies along the U.S. border, and then kind of from the Great Lakes down the St. Lawrence River Valley. Um, And it should be stressed that it's uh, cities within these zones that are probably most at risk um, because of the urban island, the heat island effect. Actually, our cities can be some 10 to 15 degrees hotter than surrounding rural areas just because artificial surfaces kind of absorb and then give out uh, heat. So they keep our our cities hotter in these kind of uh, heat wave events. Mm -hmm. And what we're anticipating with climate change is that you know, we're going to have more hot days over 30 degrees. I was just listening to the weather forecast. It seems like we're getting to that temperature to now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to expect higher temperatures, so the maximum values are going up, and also more frequent and longer heat waves. Uh, and so in British Columbia, I just want to clarify, so it would be the lower mainland area and then sort of the southern, southern British Columbia? 
Yeah, the, the valleys in particular, like um, Kelowna or Kamloops, um, those areas are particularly at risk, mm-hmm. um, and particularly urban areas. So what should uh, this type of research tell um, uh, elected officials, policymakers moving forward? What kind of things do we collectively have, to, as a society, have to start looking at? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we we published a report last year looking at different levels of action. So Mm -hmm. there are levels, obviously, of community action. We need to particularly support vulnerable people, people who are living on their own, elderly with chronic illnesses, the homeless, who are more susceptible to impacts of extreme heat. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also things that um, you mentioned, landlords. There's kind of, uh, obviously, a, a lot of people who are living alone are in apartment buildings who don't have necessarily control over their building as a homeowner would do. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, responsibility for property owners and managers, um, but also things that individuals can do. And that's something that we've been focusing on at the Impact Center is really communicating uh, with the public as kind of the, the actions that are actually within our control. Um, you know, when we're thinking about DIY around the home, there are things that we can do ourselves as well. Do you remain an optimist? Uh, yourself and your colleagues who've got this work to do and you're doing this research, it, it speaks to uh, individual changes, individual actions as well in regards to our consumption patterns. But you are moving an entire society, how it eats, how it uh, plays, uh, how it runs its life. You're changing an entire economy that has been reliant on, you know, fossil fuels. Uh, do you still remain an optimist in the ability to, to, to for society, especially nations, to make that hard pivot? I think I think we have to remain optimistic because you know what is the alternative really? Um, if we don't have hope, what do we have? Uh, so um, so I think you know I I'm a natural optimist. So personally, you know uh, the fact that we're not seeing things happen as quickly as we want to gives me kind of uh, energy to kind of get out of bed every day and try and move things faster. Um, so I think you know we do want to see. Um, we do want to see more rapid action, obviously, um, on both fronts. I think that's one of the key messages is when people talk about climate action, they automatically think about carbon emissions. Um, but there's this other side of the coin uh, on adapting to the, the impacts that we know are going to happen. And that's where we're, we've, we've kind of underinvested in Canada. We really need to step up action on that side of things because something like um, from the finance community, for example, 90 90% of climate finance goes to mitigating greenhouse gas emissions and only 10% to adaptation. Um, and, we, you know, we're not going back to a normal climate, so we, we do really need to step up action to prepare for what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, when you look at um, cities like Vancouver, is it also going to come down to, you know, living in smaller homes, living in denser areas, greater walking and greater use of buses, uh, and transit to get to places rather than being somebody who may live in the suburbs and has been used to, uh, you know, relying on a motor vehicle, uh, burning fossil fuels. It, it does impact how we live, though, doesn't it? It does, and both in terms of kind of carbon emissions, but also in terms of resilience. Like what we're trying to do at the Intech Centre is really bring climate resilience into people's lives because I think you know we're, many people are making decisions like to not fly so much to kind of change to an electric vehicle to reduce their emissions 
that how many people before they buy their home are looking at the flood mapping, for example, or how many people before they buy a home are looking at whether it's well insulated and is resilient to heat, uh, for example. So those decisions, I don't think we have got through to the kind of social fabric of how we, we run our lives. And I think that's, you know, we really see the infographics uh, just a couple of days ago, um, detailing actions that people can take to reduce um, their, their impact of the extreme heat. And, you know, the most important action there is actually, um, it's not infrastructure, it's actually checking on people who are more vulnerable than ourselves, like uh, your friends, family and neighbours who may be on their own or maybe elderly, um, you know, in a heatwave event, making sure that you've planned in advance how you're going to check on them and um, how you're going to, like, what kind of health checklist you're going to go through. And there's a, a link to that on the infographic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a social element to this because, for example, for extreme heat, it's, it's the social um, isolation that is a common factor amongst people who have sadly died. And that's something that we can address easily. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, 600 people plus died here during that uh, heat dome. And in cities like New Westminster, lost 25 people, I believe, just in that community alone. So you're absolutely right. And uh, the, one of the suburbs here has been pushing a lot more for cooling centers, making sure those announcements are made days in advance of, of any uh, heat event as well. So it is a, is a fundamental sea change in regards to how we live, but also how we communicate and how we take care of each other as well. Uh, Ms. Acom, thank Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.